and we just want to remind ourselves what's the, the mission and the vision of ICF. And so this week we're going to look at the mission, uh, and next week we're going to take a, a deeper look at the vision. Now that terminology, uh, you guys all probably understand it differently from working in companies and different people understand the vocabulary differently. So just so you know what we mean when we say mission and vision. Uh, mission is the reason we exist. This is uh, our purpose. Why did God create a church? Uh, the mission of the church is the reason for our existence. The vision that we're going to talk about next week is how we as a local church here in Oberursel, Germany, 2023, are going to accomplish that mission. Uh, okay, so that's how we're using that language, and today we're going to look at the mission uh, of the church, and, and not just our church, but any church. Any church across the globe is going to have the same mission. Uh, Jesus made the church for one purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples. Jesus uh, commissioned the church to be a church that is a disciple-making community. So what does that mean to be a disciple-making community? What does it mean to make disciples? And more importantly, what is your role in that? Because I think a lot of you could say, oh, that's my job to disciple you. But it's all of our jobs. The great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples is for each one of us to be out in the world making disciples. So the question that you have to ask as you're reading this passage and we're studying the Great Commission um, this morning is how are you involved in, in making disciples? This isn't just something that Jesus gave to elders and deacons and pastors, but every single Christian has the task and the role to be a disciple maker. And so I hope this message this morning will be a challenge and a reminder for us of why it is that we exist as a church. So before we do this, it's good to prepare our hearts to receive God's word and song. So Naomi's going to lead us in um, the song Blessed Assurance. So let's stand as we sing this song together. Blessed Assurance Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of now burst on my sight Angels descending Bring from above Echoes of mercy Whispers of love This is my story This is my song Praise 
Remain standing while I read uh, the scripture passage for us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you and sit at your feet and listen to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit might fall upon this place afresh, that you might awaken our hearts to your reality that you might convict us of sin, that you might encourage us, that you might empower us, Lord, that you might give us your eyes and ears for this world around us. Lord, envision, uh, enlarge our vision for those that are around us, that you have placed around us, that we might be witnesses to your majesty, to your glory, to your gospel. And so I pray, dear Lord, that you would do a wonderful work this morning in the preaching of your word. So Lord, turn my uh, human sinful words into holy words for your holy people. We pray that you would do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Well, the early church father, Origen, one of the early church fathers, writes, what each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, This for him is God. Psalm 115, 4 and verse 8 says this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands, and those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. So there there is a basic scriptural truth in Psalm 115 that we find throughout scripture and throughout church history is that really we're all in a process of becoming something. Life is not a a stagnant, standstill, static experience. And each one of us is in the process of, of becoming something. And Scripture tells us that we are becoming like whatever it is that we worship, 
Whatever it is that we give our affections and our admiration to, what ultimately grasps our attention or fascinates our imagination, whatever it is that is the object of our deepest affections, this is ultimately what we worship. So, Just to illustrate this point of what discipleship is and what it means to make disciples, I want to give kind of, it's not, I I couldn't say a contemporary example, but most of you are my age or older, so it won't go over your heads. Youth, just ask somebody with gray hair if you don't know who these people are, Um, or no hair. Um, So... But uh, I, I was reading a book uh, on discipleship, and um, Eric Geiger has a book called Transformational Discipleship, and he uses this as an example that we're all in the process of dis- being discipled one way or another. This is an actor from the late 90s, so when I was in high school, uh, early 2000s, so it's a, a dated example, admittedly. Um, and his name's Chris Farley. And listen to how Eric Geiger describes his discipleship process. Chris Farley is still regarded, I think, as one of the funniest comedians of our generation. From his sketches on Saturday Night Live to the movies he starred in, Farley was a success in the entertainment business. Now, Chris Farley was impacted by the example and influence of another famous comedian. This goes even further. This is before me now, uh, John Belushi. And Farley famously said this. He said, I wanted to be like him in every way. John Belushi moved uh, for, uh, for the comedy troupe Second City in Chicago to Saturday Night Live, starring in movies. And Farley followed the exact same path, working from this comedy troupe in Chicago to Saturday Night Live. Farley's emulation, Geiger goes on, did not stop there. Both Belushi and Farley struggled with obesity, had a reputation for wild living. And sadly, Belushi died of a drug overdose when he was only 33 years old. And years later, after a night of partying, Chris Farley was found dead in his apartment from drug overdose, and he was 33 years old. So this is a negative example of discipleship. Discipleship is happening all the time. You are being discipled. And the question is not whether you're being discipled or not. The question is, what are you being, or who are you being discipled by? We're all worshiping something. We're all striving and working hard at different things. We're all in the process of becoming like the object of our worship. So if we're not disciples of Jesus Christ, then we are being discipled by the world around us. And if we went around this room and asked, what is discipleship? we would probably get several different definitions. Some would maybe focus on knowledge. Know this doctrine, know these passages. And so a lot of churches focus on classes and programs and other means of distributing knowledge. Others might focus on behavior. Do these things, practice these disciplines. And so some churches make community and accountability and practical seminars for Christian living the central focus of their theme and time and energies. But really, discipleship is so much more than just information. It's so much more than just changing our behavior. 
But as Chris Farley demonstrated for us tragically, discipleship is ultimately about transformation of the whole person. Discipleship is ultimately about becoming like Jesus, the object of our worship. Discipleship is wanting to be like Jesus in every way. You know, as a church, we, we shifted our vision about four years ago to make discipleship not just one thing we do alongside several other things, but to make discipleship really the main thing that we do. And when we made that shift, we, we began to see the Lord working in a much different way. And uh, his power and his authority and his presence began to show up in, in different ways. And, and it's at this time that a lot of people um, actually came to Christ um, that, that first year that we changed that vision. If you remember the story of Chris and Francie, uh, how they came to Christ, this was in that season um, when the Lord uh, just broke into their world and, and called them to himself. So we found that when we make our vision what, what Jesus' vision is, then he begins to work in a more powerful and prevalent way. And so as we turn to Jesus' parting words to his disciples, um, Jesus commissions them to do a job, and they're given a specific task upon his departure. And so let's spend time looking at this passage, a familiar passage. It's one uh, I've preached from several times, and it's, it's a beautiful passage that I don't think we can ever tire of looking at it from different angles. And so let's begin with the fact that it has two bookends. Two statements about God uh, bookend the Great Commission. So if we look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, we'll see that the the Great Commission, the, the task, therefore go make disciples, is sandwiched in between two great statements about God. First is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, to to Jesus. And then at the end, it closes with, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. So so in between these two great promises, we find the Great Commission. And so we have to acknowledge from from the very beginning that discipleship happens as a result of, of the authority of Christ and the presence of Christ in a person's life. Jesus is the origin and the first mover, the first cause. He's also the sustainer and the grower and transformer. And it starts with Christ, it continues with Christ, and then it ends with Christ. And as soon as Christ is acknowledged as the authority, the Lord in a person's life, then his presence will fill that person and growth and transformation begins to happen. The whole endeavor is a a supernatural miracle as a dead person comes to life and Christ rushes into that person's heart and growth and transformation begins that doesn't stop until the end. He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so discipleship is not merely a human endeavor, rather it is Jesus working on the heart of a person. And discipleship flows out of that authority of Christ when he is Lord of your life. And he's sustained by the presence of Christ, that he is with you to the very end of the age. And so when we start to make Jesus' mission our mission, this task of making disciples, then we begin to see God's power 
and his presence show up in our life. And that's a promise from the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. So when we are busying ourselves making disciples, then God's power and his presence will show up in our life. That's a promise from the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So, um, let's go to, yeah, that we have a responsibility also. We have a part to play. And we'll see this in the fact that Jesus commands us to do certain things. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then if you go to verse 19, the second part of verse 19, and then what? Therefore. So whenever you see a therefore, you always have to ask, what is that therefore, therefore? Because he has this power and authority, we are to go as servants of the Lord into this world. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So the key to understanding the Great Commission is actually in the Greek grammar. Now, I don't do this to you often, um, but it's not so obvious in the English language because the English has four verbs there. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And (coughs) unless you translated this from the Greek, you wouldn't recognize there's actually one imperative, there's one command in the Great Commission, and then there's three helping verbs that are called in Greek participles. So they help you do the one main verb. So I know sometimes it can be obnoxious when a pastor says, well, in Greek, but here, here we go. In Greek, there's one command. Can you guess what that command is? I've, I've said this to the congregation before when we've preached on this. No? Make disciples. Yeah, it's tricky. So make disciples is the command. That is the, the primary focus of the Great Commission, is that we are to be uh, uh, disciple makers. And the three helping words are how we go about doing that. So we are to make disciples, how? By going, by baptizing, by teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. And that's why every Christian's job, and his main job, thank you, that I do need. (laughs) So every disciple's main job is to make disciples. And so as we dive deeper into this, we need to be asking ourselves, you need to be asking yourselves, how am I engaged in God's mission to make disciples in this earth? And so how are you doing this? Am I actively engaged in God's mission to make disciples? Is this my reason for being? Is making disciples what I think about when I get up in the morning, plan my day, or, or go to work? Is, is discipleship and making disciples on your mind? Is it on your radar? Do you see your job, your main job, as a friend to be a disciple maker? Do you see your main job as a parent to be a disciple making parent? Do you see your main job as a spouse to help uh, your, your spouse become a closer disciple of Christ? So as we walk through this passage, this isn't just vaguely, randomly applied to the church. What's the church? The collection of God's people. This is for you. 
You are called to be a disciple maker. And so apply this passage to your life as we walk through it. So let's stop and reflect on that primary command to make disciples. And then we'll look at the way that Jesus tells us to go about doing that. So first off, what does it mean to make disciples? So what does it mean to be a disciple? The word for disciple, uh, oh, here I go again, comes from the Greek word matheteus, which is like Matthew, um, which literally means a learner, a pupil, um, a disciple. Now, when we read the simple definition, we tend to infuse our modern-day understanding of what a learner is. A learner for us is someone who sits at a desk, takes notes, listens to a lecture, accumulates knowledge, and passes a test, right? But this is not the ancient way of learning. In ancient Jewish culture, a disciple learned a person. To be a disciple meant to know a person, to imitate a person, and not just facts about that person, but to really know that person. Jesus gives us insight into what he means when he says make disciples. In Luke 6.40, he says, the student is not above his teacher, so the, dis the, the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will become like their teacher. So this, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to, to know him personally, not facts about him, not quotes from him, but to know him as a person, to grow in our knowledge of him. And so the goal behind this teaching wasn't to be masters of a subject, rather it's to learn a person and to learn his worldview, to learn his way of life based on these truths and apply that to, to different situations and to realities. <coughs> the Sermon on, a Mount, on the Mount what followed these verses um, it is very much uh, like um, we, we, we do have to learn like a pupil. And so it does mean to grow in knowledge. And so we do see that we have to develop intellectually too. And that's a part of it. So we see Jesus doing this occasionally when he says in Matthew 5, 1 to 2, look, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so this is a lecture kind of teaching format, but it was very dialogical. There were questions interspersed between. And the goal behind this teaching wasn't just to be, uh, uh, to understand knowledge, but to understand his worldview. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and see it as a window on the world, this is how Jesus viewed reality. We would read some of the Sermon on the Mount and we're like, how could we ever love and pray for our enemies? How could we turn the other cheek? Um, this is a completely different way of looking at reality. And so the Sermon on the Mount um, isn't just theoretical theology, but it's very practical. It's very present-based. It's very applicable to the way of life. And so Tony Payne in The Vine Project writes, the Sermon on the Mount, what followed in these verses, uh, oh, sorry, the goal was for them not only to know what their teacher knew, but also to be like their teacher, to walk in his ways. They weren't learning a subject, but they were learning a person, if we can put it like that. This knowledge, his wisdom, his whole way of life. 
And so this is why disciples followed him around and lived with him closely to watch and to learn how he lived, right? I'd love to see how Jesus handled frustration, right? Or when he hit his thumb with a hammer, how did Jesus react? I would have loved to see that. And so the disciples got to see him on that level. And so we often see throughout the gospels, his disciples getting him to explain a parable, right? Or explain a certain part of his teaching that they didn't get or pose a dilemma to see how he would answer. And really, that's how we need to be reading scripture. We need to be digging into God's word and and asking questions and learning, how does that apply now to my life as I go into my job on Sunday? How is, or Monday, how is that? Well, for me, it's Sunday. For, for, (laughs) For, for them, for, for you guys going on a Monday and saying, how does disciple making apply when I'm teaching business language to people or computer programming? And I think the question is, what kind of series of relationships has the Lord put you into contact with? Jesus wants his disciples to walk with him on a daily basis to learn from him. And we can do this too because we have his spirit in us. We have his word with us, and we have those who are traveling alongside us. I mean, that's the church, the spirit in us, the word with us, and travelers alongside of us. That's how discipleship happens in the post-Jesus era. The spirit in us, the word with us, and those traveling alongside of us. And he still speaks to us today. And so it is possible to to walk closely with Jesus and learn from him. And like James and Peter and John, we can't learn from Jesus if we're not daily walking with him. We can't follow Jesus from a distance and still call ourselves disciples. We're not fans on the sideline. We're meant to be players in the game. And in fact, Jesus makes it clear that if we want to be learners of him, then we're going to have to give up or be prepared to give up everything to follow him. In Luke 14, he says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple, cannot be a learner of me. Jesus said, make disciples. And so what's a disciple? First, we have to be clear on a term. A disciple is someone devoted to learning Jesus as a person. Not facts about him, but learning Jesus. Not an intellectual exercise, but a holistic way of living and seeing. And so our task to make disciples, we're about to be the business of helping people around us become devoted learners of Jesus that are growing in their devotion to learning about Jesus more and more. And so as we engage our neighbors, our colleagues in the workplace, in the daily mundane items of life, we already are in the process of making disciples. Every time you have a, even a, a, a colleague, and every time they know you're a Christian, or if they do, hopefully they would know that you're a Christian, and so every way that you handle getting hit on the thumb with a nail is an opportunity to witness, or every frustration that you, you're dealing with, or a hard blow, or a difficult question, it's an opportunity for you to apply the truth of the gospel into to real life. And, you know, I'm not a banker, but there's a lot of bankers here that know how to do that, right? And have been walking with the Lord a while. And so find people in your field 
that can help you know how to live out the faith. Uh, it's, it's so important that we learn to apply the faith in all of life. So Jesus said, make disciples. Um, let's move to how we're about to do that. The three helping verbs um, are go, um, baptize, and teach. So the first step is going. So every one of you is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. Jesus commissioned all of us to, to go. If we're not if we're to make disciples, it begins with the awareness that the people around us in our daily lives are really seeking God. They, they really are. God has put eternity in the hearts of every human being. And so they might not realize it, but they are seeking God. They're seeking goodness. They're seeking truth. They're seeking justice and beauty and meaning in the things of this world uh, the, the problem is they're looking for it in creation rather than the creator. And so they're looking for the same things that Jesus gives us. It's just they're looking in the wrong place. And so God has put you there to tell them the source of life, to the, the answer to these questions, where they can find true beauty and true justice and true meaning in life. And so instead of seeing those around us as evil or foolish or roll our eyes at the non-Christians around us, we need to begin seeing them as Jesus did with compassion. You know, when Jesus came to Jerusalem in, in the Gospel of Luke, he, he wept, he was overcome with tears because of the blindness of Israel. And so we need to weep for those around us that are living and worshiping creation and not the Creator. So you're God's plan to reach the world. There's no plan B. You, the church, the local assembly of God's people, are God's chosen instruments to begin, bring lost people to the kingdom of God. You know, we, we, we support missions, and, and Andrea has been so helpful at helping us have a more mission-minded view. But you know that Germany is, is one of the most unreached places in the world, right? Um, you heard last week about 5% of Germans are practicing Christians. And really what, what that means, practicing Christians, is that you go to church twice a month. So even that is maybe a little exaggerated. So <clears throat> we, we live in a, in a secular, pagan culture. And somehow through your job or through circumstances, the Lord has brought you to Frankfurt to be missionaries, do you, do you see your way of being as being a missionary? That is what you're here for. There's no second option. God has ordained and planned that you are bearers of light and goodness and the gospel into this lost world. And so this means that discipleship is happening as soon as you go and engage the world around you with the love of Christ. The world we live in, is, it's not a neutral territory. It's not a bright, sunny place where nice people just get on with their lives and work and interests, and then Christians are people who just happen to go to church on Sundays. No, you really can't be sitting on the fence here. We need to have a sense of urgency for those that are trapped in darkness and who are going to hell. And, and we have to make disciples by, by going to them. If you don't go to them, who will, 
right? Jesus said go because by our instinct, I think, we naturally want to stay put. We want to stay where it's safe and where it's comfortable and where everybody thinks like we think and speak like we think. And, 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 but going means pushing ourselves to do uncomfortable things for the sake of Jesus' name. It means telling someone the gospel, asking them about their thoughts on God. It means giving up your free time. It means investing in others. It means considering the needs of others more important than your needs. But we don't stop there. What's the second helping verb? Is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the discipling process Discipleship is a, is a process, it's a movement from going to then baptizing, from engaging to, to actually sharing the message of Jesus, which calls people to, to decision, to come to a point of decision. We move from engaging them with the love of God and the kindness to actually sharing the gospel message, the good news that Jesus has come to die their death and to give them the gift of new life. Baptism is not just a a religious ritual, but there's a much deeper significance to it. When Jesus taught, he taught through a series of images and pictures and parables. Well, Well, baptism is one of those images and parables of salvation. And so when we baptize people, as we do, uh, it's a routine reminder of what salvation is. In John 4, 1, we read this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, and so we see that an important aspect of making disciples for Jesus was was baptism. And so Jesus baptized his disciples, and baptism is a picture of the gospel. And it symbolizes that life Uh, of repentance and and faith, right? A washing away of the old and a raising up to new life. And that's a powerful image of dying and rising again. And uh, our efforts to to make disciples, it's, it's it's not enough just to be nice. It's not enough to do good things. It's not enough to do sacrificial service. If we are not clearly articulating the fact that we are sinful people uh, in need of God's grace and love that only can be found in Jesus Christ, then we're, we're not completing the process. Um, this, this saying uh, that, well, yeah. So Jesus called people to repentance, and the first step of following Jesus is repentance. Admitting that you previously lived in rebellion to God that you loved things in creation more than the creator, that you turned away from Christ and turned uh, towards those things that, that used to, to that capture our affections and attention. And so baptism is meant to be a visible sign that this repentance has happened in your heart. And so part of making disciples is calling people, people towards repentance, to call them towards repentance. Um, and repentance is a twofold process. It's, it's actually not just embracing the new life that we learn in Jesus, but it's, it's also a type of unlearning of our past life. As we learn Jesus, as we learn 
this person and this new way of life, we learn that it's radically different than everything that we thought was true before. Colin Marshall in The Vine Project writes, the people Jesus calls to be learners don't have a, a blank slate. Our slate is very full, meaning our, our guilt, uh, of foolish, darkened, enslaved thinking that is opposed to learning Jesus at every point. So becoming a learner of Christ, therefore, requires a radical change. It requires a great work of God to rescue us from the domain in which we were enslaved and to transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So from our side, it requires repentance. And that's a dying to the web of lies that our lives once were built on. And so repentance and the, the act of baptism is a recognition that we've been transferred to the king, kingdom of light from another dominion. And that old way of living still holds us captive in so many different ways. And so learning the gospel, learning Jesus is a process of unlearning those old ways of being. Paul talks about it this way in Colossians. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Um, and so in Christ, we, we have this new life of making disciples. So um, let's build a picture of where we are at this moment, okay? So this is an important picture for our, our mission as a church. Is it up there? Yeah, okay. So here is kind of a visualization of the Great Commission. And we, we go to those in darkness, we engage them, where they are. We're having coffee with them. We're being friends with them. We work with them. But we can't just stay in the realm of engagement. We have to move into sharing the gospel, into telling them about Jesus, to talking about the reality of sin and the coming wrath of God. And so we share this good news that Jesus has taken our place. And as they come to repentance and believe in the gospel... They're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the dominion of the sun. And these people have been rescued and transformed. And so we're engaged in this ongoing process of learning Christ and unlearning uh, our past way of living and thinking. And so you see, the last thing in the Great Commission is to teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So you see the little L above the people in the kingdom of the sun? Well, in Australia and England, where, where the, the image was taken from, when you learn to drive, you put an L on the back of your car, right? So you're a learner. And so that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to be a learner of Christ. And each one of us is somewhere along the spectrum. Everyone you speak to um, is somewhere along this journey, and it helps to know where you are and where people are so you can know where you need to engage with them. So as we go, we baptize, and we teach to obey everything the Lord commanded us to do. And so as we conclude this week, let's take a step back and review. Uh, one, God initiates and sustains the, the whole process. Um, his authority and his presence is what uh, starts and finishes the process of discipleship. But then there are commands that we're involved with to, to make disciples, to go, um, to teach, and to 
um, baptize. So a disciple is a devoted follower of Christ. And three, we, we do these things of going, baptizing, and teaching. So how can you respond to the Great Commission today? Um, as we've been studying this passage, what is your part to play? What is your role in God's mission in this world? The Great Commission is for every follower of Christ. We're all called to make disciples. Each one of us is meant to be going, baptizing, and teaching. And so the question you have to ask yourself this morning is this, are you, are you in the game? Is making disciples uh, uh, the aim of, of your life? And that's a huge question because for many of you, I, I really don't think it is. And how do I know that? Because Jesus promised that when we're actively, intentionally engaged in making disciples, his power and his presence are going to show up in manifest, visible ways. And so if we've made the Christian life primarily about our own development and our own salvation, then we've missed the point. It's not about us. It's about Jesus saving a lost world. So I want to challenge you in this next year to really get off the sidelines, <laughs> to get in the game. Too many of us have left ministry and evangelism and sacrificial service to the professionals instead of, uh, and then we consume ourselves with our own glory, our own comfort, our own security. If we're going to make disciples, it means each one of us has to go. We have to have that uncomfortable conversation. We have to go to that person that the Lord is leading us to, that is put across our path. And we have to have the eyes to go about doing that. Going means getting out of your comfort zone. Baptizing means having those uncomfortable conversations. Teaching means giving up your time and energy that you would normally spend on yourselves and invest it instead in someone else. So I want to close with a story that I found helpful uh, about discipleship and what it really means to follow Jesus. It's a story my dad would always tell, so uh, bear with me. Um, there, there was a missionary in, in Africa, and he was learning a new language from the people he was serving. And, and one of his jobs was to, to walk through the different villages and collect the children and bring them to the Christian school. But he noticed that he would go about and collect the kids and he'd say, follow me. Uh, and the longer he walked, the more kids kept falling away and getting lost and would go back home and wouldn't make it to the school. And it turns out in this new language where he was still learning, there were two words for follow me. One is follow me from a distance. And so some of the kids would get lost because they would kind of wander off too far. And the other word would be, follow me closely, like um, a mom would tie her baby to her back. Follow me like this. And he was using the word, follow me from a distance. And that's why so many of the kids would eventually find their way home instead of to school. Well, <clears throat> I think in many ways, we may have understood Jesus' command to follow him in a similar way. But Jesus didn't say, follow me from a distance. He said, follow me closely. Come alongside and be a part of the mission I'm engaged in. Uh, 
And Jesus is calling us into his mission. And when Jesus said, follow me, he said, stay close. And I will be with you. And you will be with me as you join me in my mission. And so as we begin to join Jesus in his mission, I promise you, he's going to show up in amazing ways. If you want to see real miracles happening, if you want to be really full of the Spirit and see power, supernatural power, then it's going to happen when we're involved in what Jesus was doing, which is making disciples. It doesn't happen uh, when we're exploring our own vision for life and our own mission. It happens when we're on his mission. And that's when he shows up and begins to show off in powerful, powerful ways. And so I want to encourage you that in this year ahead, to just be enamored with Jesus, to let Jesus and his message of forgiveness and grace captivate your, your imaginations and your hearts. We're, we're all imperfect followers of Christ. We all have our short, shortcomings. We all have our failures, our battles uh, against the flesh. But yet, Jesus has chosen you to be his hands and feet in this world. Our imperfections is sometimes where he shows up in the greatest ways, right? Through our clumsy words <laughs> and our imperfect uh, behavior, God can use that to, to really make himself glorious. In fact, that's what he, he says he will do. And so we're all sinners. We're, we're all saved by grace. And the more we plumb the depths of that, that truth, the more happy and joyful that we will be. And the more we recognize our own sin and how God meets us in our sin and our failures with his grace, the more we'll see the needs of those around us the more we'll begin to have his eyes and, and begin to see the needs of those around us. The more we'll begin to see the hurts and the pains of those around us. You know, Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. And he's taken our sin upon his shoulders and he's given us his goodness and his victory to wake us up from our slumber and bring us back to our Heavenly Father. As we ponder that gospel truth, the needs around us will become clearer and clearer. And we'll begin to have a burden for those that don't know the Lord, don't know the good news of a loving God who sent his son to atone for their sins. When Jesus's mission becomes our mission, then that's when we're going to encounter Jesus in new and in powerful ways. When we engage in disciple-making, Jesus shows up in power, and that's a promise that Jesus has said himself. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, and behold, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. That's the promise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you.